as we're here for the Easter season, this, this today is a Palm Sunday, and we'll talk about what that means if you're new to church. Um, but man, what a time of year to reflect on uh, the love of God, the love that he holds for each one of us, every one of you here in this room today. Uh, I do want to welcome all those joining us online today. I'm Pastor Zach. Shelly and I serve as lead pastors here at Connection Point, and we're so glad that you're here today. I'm glad that you made it out, brave that snow. It's spring, right? Just kidding. Although we didn't get out, so we live in Battleground. It's interesting, the snow, like it actually went to Indy. Like, don't go south for spring break, folks. Uh, snow's going to meet you there, I guess, unless you go way far south. Um, but yeah, we're glad to be able to be here today. You know, if I were to ask you this question, you know what, before I forget, hey, next week is what? Easter. Uh, if you have a heart to maybe show up at 9 a.m., uh, next week, that'd be great. That will help us a little bit because we know some more people will be here uh, next Sunday. You can get a jump start on your Easter meal. Um, that'd be great. I'm going to forget to say that if I don't say it now. Uh, but if you would like to show up at 9, we'll have service uh, tomorrow at 9, or next Sunday at 9 and 1045. We'd love to have you here for our Easter celebration as we celebrate a risen Lord. It's a great time of the year to remember why Jesus came and the victory that we have in him. He showed victory over death victory over sin, over evil, over all things. Uh, So we're just going to reflect on that next week. And if I were to ask you the question this morning, what kind of life you wanted, what answer would you give? Have you ever thought about that? What kind of qualities would you like to have as a part of your life? That's, That's really what I'm asking. Would you like to have abiding peace? That's maybe something you'd think about. Would you like to have a heart that's filled with love? Would you like to have the kind of faith that sees everything, even your failures and losses, in light of God's governance for good? Would you like to have the kind of hope that endures even in discouraging circumstances? Those are all great qualities. Would you like to have those things? And if those are the things you're seeking today, can I encourage you that you can find those things in Jesus? You can. I think sometimes we doubt that, though. And that's what I want to dive into today to to show us how we can pursue those things. In fact, people 2,000 years ago, they were in pursuit of these things, and so they welcomed Jesus with palm branches as he came down off the Mount of Olives and entered into Jerusalem. They were seeking peace. They were seeking hope. They were seeking safety and security. And Jesus did come to bring those things, but he brought them in a way that even that crowd didn't really understand. And I wonder for us today, do do we understand the way that Jesus came and how he's going to bring those things into our lives? So today's Palm Sunday. And if you're new to church, it's a day when we look back 2,000 years ago to when Jesus entered Jerusalem and the week that's leading up to what's going to be his uh, crucifixion and resurrection. So today's that day. This is that week. And so this morning, we're going to read through this event, this Palm Sunday, what we would call the triumphal entry. You can find it in all four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament. And we're going to look at it today in Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some in the seat underneath you. You're welcome to take a Bible home with you if you don't have one at home. But we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 21 this morning as we reflect on Palm Sunday. And we're going to read the first 11 verses, verses 1 through 11. So I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. And the reason we stand is is simply to help us draw more attention to God's word. These are his words to us, and so we want to reflect on those today. So reading in Matthew chapter 1, 21, verses 1 to 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, 
Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from the Nazareth of Galilee. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So Jesus, as we read this morning, he enters Jerusalem and people come out to greet him with palm branches and shouts of Hosanna which means save now. It's the best translation I can give you. Hosanna means save now. The crowd, they were quoting from Psalm 118. That's what they were doing. And when they were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name, Hosanna in the highest, they're simply quoting an Old Testament psalm. But the problem is here, we could look at that and say, wow, that sounds really nice, but they're actually telling Jesus what to do. When you look at Psalm 118.25, here's what it says. Save us, we pray, O Lord, O Lord, we pray, give us success. This is what the psalm says. So when they're laying down these palm branches saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, what they're saying is, Jesus, save us, set us free. What the crowd wanted was a king, and they wanted him now. They wanted Jesus to declare war on Rome. They wanted a fight. They wanted him to give deliverance and political freedom. This is what the people were after. And so what they do is they come out bearing palm branches, greeting him like they had done decades earlier to uh, Judas Maccabeus, a military leader. So what they're doing is they're recognizing Jesus and they say, we want you to be our leader. And it's not a whole lot unlike now when, when people come back and they've served the country and the armed services, sometimes they're welcomed with parade. And that's what we see here in, in the people in that setting, what they had to use as palm branches. So that's what they're using. They're welcoming Jesus like a military leader saying, we want our deliverance and freedom. Jesus, you be our king. And why did this crowd want Jesus to be their king? Because they wanted peace. They wanted hope. These people wanted safety and security. And they thought a political takeover was the way that it would happen. They wanted Roman occupation to end. They thought if they had put Jesus on an earthly throne, all of their problems would go away. But what does Jesus say? That's not how we're going to do it. I'm going to go to the cross, and that's how we're going to get this done. I have come to bring you peace. I've come to to bring you hope. I've come to help establish uh, peace and mercy in your life, but it's going to look a lot different than what you think. And for us this morning, part of that message is to understand we're not going to find lasting peace with the right person in political office. We won't. We're not going to find hope for our future with just the right job. I I think sometimes we look to that. We're not going to find real purpose and meaning in life by championing the right cause. There's lots of distractions in this life that we can go after in pursuit of peace and hope 
and all of these things that our hearts long for. And what I'm here to tell you this morning is you can find all those things, but you're going to find them in Jesus. There's one source where you can find lasting peace and hope. And it's Jesus, the Son of God. And, and what we find as we look at Palm Sunday, as we look next week to Easter, is we find how he came to bring those things. Only Jesus, as you seek him, can give you the life that you've always wanted. And he's going to do that in three impactful ways. And the first is this. Jesus can give you the life you've always wanted by changing your narrative. Jesus can give you the life you've always wanted by changing your narrative. Jesus understood how people change. He really did. This is why he taught in stories. He used narrative to explain his understanding of God and the world. He would say things like, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. Well, why would he use a mustard seed? Because as you walk throughout the land of Israel, there's these plants that have mustard seeds in lots of places. So he was using everyday things to be able to relate what the kingdom was like. Because Jesus was trying to create stories and help people live in that story of who God is. And if we adopt Jesus' narratives about God, we will know God properly and will live for him in the right way. We come to experience the life we've always wanted, not by mustering up willpower, but instead by changing the way that we think. You know, a lot of people want to change. I hear that all the time. I'd like to change. I know that there's things in my life that I'm not happy with. And the way that this happens is they must change the way they think. They want to know abiding peace. They want to live a God-centered life. But I'm convinced a lot of people at this point, they think it's not possible. I've met with a lot of people in church and they would say, I don't know that I can really find peace and live for God at the center. And maybe that's where you find yourself today. After years of trying and failing, you've lived a Christian life of quiet desperation, longing for change, and now you're certain it can't happen. So you sit in your chair each week, silently resigned, saying, this is my fate. Or maybe you haven't even been looking to the church, but you've been looking outside of the church. You've read self-help books. You've gone to counseling, you've, you've taken medication, and yet hopelessness remains. You still have no real peace in your home or in your heart. There are many people who live like this. They try to change in their own strength. They want to become the kind of person that Jesus describes, the kind of person who loves their enemies and doesn't worry about things. Wouldn't that be an incredible person? People that truly love their enemies and don't worry about things? But when we look at our own lives, unfortunately, if we're honest, we'd say, I worry about a lot of things, and I have a hard time loving even some of my friends. Don't raise your hand this morning. But we know that we struggle with these things. But yet Jesus says, if he's talking about this is what it looks like to live in the kingdom, we know that we can live this way. And so the question is, how? How can we live like this? I'm here to tell you this morning that change can come in the right environment. Real transformation can happen. I've come to believe that the problem is not that we do not want to change, nor is the problem that we're not trying to change. The problem is we've not put ourselves in the right environment. We've never been taught a reliable pattern, a transformation. When people decide to change something, here's what they do. They muster their willpower and set about trying to change their behavior. And this nearly always fails. I, I don't know if you're aware, but approximately 95% of New Year's resolutions, people have quit on that by the end of January. That's willpower. <laughs> but that's reality. They think of themselves as weak and they feel badly about their failure. And this is unfortunate. The reason they failed was not a lack of willpower. In fact, here's the problem. The will has no power. 
So let's just dismiss that altogether. The will is simply the human capacity to choose. If we define it, then we can better live in it. The will is simply the human capacity to choose. Your will simply responds to influencers around you. And the three primary influencers on the will is the mind, the body, and our social setting. Those are the things that influence the will. And here's what I mean by that. What we think in our minds, it creates emotions, which leads to decisions and actions. That's how the mind influences the will. And then we see that the body is a complex inner working of impulses that influences the will as well. Most of our bodily systems, they run without our help. But now when the body, it needs something like food or water, what it does is it expresses itself to the mind through feelings like hunger and thirst. And it tells the, the mind, it sends a message to the will, it says, get food, I'm hungry, preferably bacon, right? Come on, amen. I was in Amman, Jordan for a week, there was no bacon. And the will, it's influenced by our mind, it's influenced by our body, but it's also influenced by our social setting. This is why parents want their kids to make good friends because they know those friends are going to influence them in ways that they don't. Your social setting is called peer pressure. It influences your will. So the will is neither strong nor weak. It has only one task to do with the mind, the body, and the social context tells it to do. So change or lack of change, it's not an issue of the will. No, change happens when these other influencers are modified. And the good news is we have control over those influencers. When new ideas, new practices, and new social settings are adopted, change happens. New ideas, new practices, new social settings. Those are where, what causes change. So the first thing you must seek Jesus for is for him to change your narratives, for him to change your stories. You see, we're creatures that live by our stories. I don't know if you thought about that. From early on, we're told stories by our parents, by our loved ones, which helps us to interpret how life is lived or how it ought to be. When we have a significant experience, one that shapes us, we turn it into a story. So for me, in my childhood, one of the things that impacted me was for my dad, he showed up to every athletic event, every football game, basketball game, and track meet. He was always there. So that's a story for my childhood. So how has that influenced me? Now I have a heart to coach my kids' basketball and soccer teams. So my dad's influence on my life is influencing the life of my kids too. We live in our stories. Uh, I'm sure you could have examples of that in your own life as well. Things from your childhood that you remember, that's a part of your story. Now what this also means is, I'm not going to be Haley's gymnastic coach. Why? Because gymnastics, how many know it's an athletic event? But if I'm doing gymnastics, it's a comedy routine. You don't want to see me doing cartwheels. Nobody wants to see me doing flip-flops. Somebody's going to get hurt. And that somebody's me, by the way. Our life stories, they help us navigate our world. They do. To understand right and wrong, they provide meaning for us. We're shaped by our stories. In fact, our stories, once they're in place, they determine much of our behavior. And here's the main point. These narratives are running our lives. Some of these narratives you may not even be aware of. But this is why we need Jesus to shape our stories. If you don't have the right narratives in place, then they're not only running your life, they're actually ruining your life. I don't know how many people I've talked to. So in the, in the concept of pastoral care and counseling, what I need to do is figure out how is this person thinking, what's the narrative they're living in, and now how can I help them live in God's narrative? That's what we need to do as well. Here's what I'd like to summarize this one point in. Get this. For you to experience the life you've always wanted, 
you must live in the story Jesus has for you. For you to experience the life you've always wanted, you must live in the story that Jesus has for you. Why is this? Why do we need to live in the story Jesus has for us? Because Jesus is truth, which means his narratives are truth. And you're meant to live in truth to experience a rich and satisfying life. In order to change, we must first change our minds. Jesus' opening line in his first sermon, here's what he says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. The New Testament is written in Greek and the word for repent, metanoio, what that actually means is change your mind. So we kind of have our own definition of what repent is, but if we look to the Bible, repent says change your mind for the kingdom of God is near. Jesus understood that transformation, it begins in your mind. Paul, a New Testament follower of Jesus, he writes about this in Romans. Here's what Paul says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what are Jesus' narratives? How can you begin to transform your mind? What does he say about God? Here's what he says. He says, God, the Father, is good. He is trustworthy. He is generous. He is love. He is holy. He is self-sacrificing. And he transforms. These are the narratives that Jesus lived in. Are we living in those narratives? Next week, what I want to do in the Easter message is I just want to answer the question, can God be trusted? We need to really believe that God can be trusted. If we don't, then we're living in the wrong narrative. So let me ask you this morning, do you believe that God is good? Really examine your heart. Do you believe that God is love? Do you believe he's self-sacrificing? Because if not, you're not living in Jesus' narratives and the false stories running in your mind are actually ruining your life. Get to know the God Jesus loves and come to experience a rich and satisfying life. How do you get to know God? You spend time reading your Bible and in prayer, which leads me to my next point this morning, which is this, that Jesus can give you the life you've always wanted through abiding. Jesus can give you the life you've always wanted through abiding. To help put the right narratives in place and to deepen them in the rest of your life, you must do something called abiding. If you're new to Connection Point, uh, it's likely you've not heard me talk a whole lot about abiding because I really haven't the last few months. But if you've been here the past two years, if Shelly and I have been here, you've heard me talk a lot about abiding because it's really important. Our first core value is abide daily because it changes your life. But no matter where you find yourself this morning, I'd like to give a fresh word on what it means to abide. So Jesus writes, and, or John writes in John 15, but Jesus speaking here, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, what can we do apart from Jesus? Nothing. If you abide in Jesus, your life will bear fruit. You'll live the life you've always wanted. And what does abiding look like? It involves reading the Bible and spending time in prayer. God's word and time spent with him in prayer, it's transformative. Here's what I would encourage you to do if you've never had a daily practice of abiding in Jesus. Do something called SOAP. So it's an acronym to help you remember what to do. S is simply scripture. So what I would encourage you to do is read a chapter a day in the Bible. Allow God's word to begin to shape your heart and your life. Read that chapter and, do, and have a journal with you and then just write out one scripture. So write out one verse, that's S for scripture. And then make an observation for O for observation. 
Make some observations about that scripture. And then A, apply that scripture to your life. And then P, pray over that scripture, asking God to help make application for that scripture in your life. So let's walk through that this morning so you can understand what I'm saying. So today, you've never had the practice of abiding, so you go home this afternoon and you start by reading Luke chapter 1. Start in Luke. Go to Acts. Those are great places to start. So you read through Luke chapter 1. I'm going to just read a couple of verses for the sake of time this morning. And you get to Luke chapter 1, verses 34 to 38. And here's what it says. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? So Luke chapter 1, this is the birth narrative of Jesus. So an angel is in the garden talking to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to be with child. His name's going to be Jesus. And the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. That's a great scripture. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So let's say you're going through Luke chapter 1. The first thing you write out is a scripture. So I'm just going to write out verse 38, which is this. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So I write out that scripture. And then, oh, observations. I write some observations. What would it have been like for Mary to have been with child in that culture in the first century? Was Mary concerned? Was she worried about what this might mean for her? Those are observations you could write out. And then A, application. What does Mary do though? Mary might be worried, but what's her response? But God, I trust you. I submit to your will for my life. So my application is, even if I'm walking through hard times, I'm gonna submit to the will of God. I can trust him. And then the last part, prayer, you just write out a prayer. God, help me to submit to your will and to trust you in all things, no matter what comes. And then that's it, that's soap. Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. But how many know, if you did that 365 times, so once a day, that begins to transform your soul. How many know that's going to be the case? Absolutely. The regular habit of spending time abiding changes your life. And we need to do that. Just like athletes, they understand the necessity of training. They run and lift weights and practice over and over again so that they can perform naturally, easily, and with strength and competition. Paul, that New Testament follower of Jesus, he writes about a lot of different scriptures that compare Christian living to being in a race. One of our family expectations at Connection Point is that we all run the race well. We're in a race. Jesus is at the finish line. May we finish it well. But I do want to be clear on one point this morning as it comes to abiding. We abide because we need to train our soul. That's what abiding is. Not because we're trying to earn anything from God. Sometimes I get that question. Let's be clear. We abide because we need to train our soul. People who regularly read the Bible and pray are no more spiritual than those that don't. Here's why we abide. Abiding is designed to cure the soul, not earn merit in heaven. You get that with me this morning? Does that make sense? Abiding is meant to cure our soul. Look, we're broken. At the fall of man, we became broken. And so we abide in Jesus so that he can abide in us so that he can cure our soul. So if you are lacking in peace, abide. If you're feeling hopeless, abide. You cannot expect to have the life you've always wanted without abiding in Jesus, because Jesus can give you the life you've always wanted through abiding. And Jesus can give you the life you've always wanted in community. Jesus can give you the life you've always wanted in community. 
Human beings are community dwellers. We're made for community. Just as the eternal trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, live in community, so we who have been made in God's image, we're meant for community as well. We're made for community. Our spiritual growth is not a personal pursuit. It's a community activity. Spiritual formation happens most profoundly in the context of a group. It just does. This is why we're launching a mentoring movement in September. Why? Because I want to create an environment where we're doing life deeply with one another, knowing that's where real transformation occurs. Living well in a God-centered community allows the influence of others to spur us on and encourage us. It just does. So my question for you on this point is this. Are you living in community with others here at Connection Point? We actually structure things in such a way that people can enter into this space anonymous because I feel like people need that sometimes, especially in a Western culture, but I don't want you to stay there. So if you're not living in community, can I push you a little bit today to say find community here at Connection Point? We try to make it as easy for you as we can. We have something the fourth Sunday of the month called the Next Step Class. In fact, it's happening right now in the city room. We've got a bunch of people in that space to say, I want to get more connected here at Connection Point. So I encourage you, next month when that's offered, the fourth Sunday of the month, sign up to be a part. Go to connectionpointchurch.org and sign up to say, I want to be in the next step class because I want to get connected, understanding part of the transformation that needs to occur in my life. It can only happen in the context of community. So don't stay on the edge. Come on along on the inside. Don't do life alone. Community is required for you to experience the life you've always wanted. And Jesus can give you. Here's the takeaway today on Palm Sunday. Seeking Jesus, Jesus can give you the life you've always wanted. And I do want to close with this, is as I talked about each one of these points this morning, you could take these principles. I mean, if, if we really look at each one and say, okay, so I replace false narratives with true narratives, I read my Bible and pray, I live well in community, it sounds simple enough. But in reality, this message wouldn't be a whole lot more than a self-help talk if you didn't understand all of this has to be driven by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Has to be. Jesus told the disciples that upon his departure and ascension that God would send a helper. And who is that helper? The Holy Spirit. Here's what he says in John 14. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is our unseen teacher who points us to Jesus and reminds us of his words. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us replace false narratives with true narratives. He's the one behind it. The Holy Spirit illuminates God's word to us. And prayer is the work of the Holy Spirit. I encourage you, when you open up your Bible to, to read through that in your abiding time, just pray. Holy Spirit, help make your word alive in me. God wants to do that for you. The Holy Spirit is behind it all, and that's how you can expect to live the life you've always wanted in Jesus. He's the one who compels you to seek Jesus to begin with. If you learn to think like Jesus thinks and to act, to do the kinds of things like Jesus did, you'll live an amazing life. Last questions for you to reflect upon this morning. What could your home life look like if it was filled with abiding peace? One of the people we worked with overseas, they had a door, a sign on their door, the front door to their home. It said, behind this door lives the happiest family on earth. Can you say that this morning? That's always challenged me. And guess what? Your willpower is not enough because your will has no power to change that. How do you change that? You start to abide for the curing of your soul. 
You start to live in community so that you can be held accountable, so you can talk to somebody who's a brother in the faith and say, Dan, man, I'm having a rough time with my kids right now. If you can't have those conversations, it's going to be hard for you to change and be transformed in the image of Christ. Number two, how would you live differently if you viewed everything in light of God's goodness? That no matter what comes, you say, God, you're good. Help me to see you in this situation, so reveal yourself to me. And number three, how might you interact with others if you had a hope that lasts? How many understand people in our world today need to see a hope that lasts? There's a lot of hopeless people, and they need to see hope in you. But are you abiding in Jesus? Are you living in community so that you can live like him and be a shining example outside these walls? You won't know until you start to seek Jesus through abiding and living in community. So make the decision. Here's my challenge. Make the decision to do this today. I want to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And as you're standing, I just want to ask, maybe you're here today and you're listening to these messages of of what it looks like for us to live in Jesus, that we can have abiding peace, that we can have a hope that lasts. But maybe you don't know anything about that because you've never given your life over to Jesus. You've never accepted the invitation that he gave you. It says, follow me. But maybe you're here today and you'd say, I want to change all that. I want to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to him. I want to say yes to him today. So with every head bowed in this room, let me ask that question. If, if that's where you find yourself today and you'd say, I need to say yes to Jesus. I need that abiding peace. I need that hope that lasts. Simply raise your hand. I want to pray with you before we leave from this place. You'd say, that's me. I need to say yes to Jesus today. I've been without hope and peace because I've never said yes to him. I've never given my life over to him. Over here on the left, anybody else that say, that's me, I, I want to follow Jesus. Anybody else that say, that's me. Jesus, I just pray that you would fill each one of us with your, your hope, your peace, your love that only you can bring. I pray that we would see and understand that it starts by replacing what are false narratives in our lives with your true narratives. Help us to understand it comes through abiding in you. Help us understand it comes in the context of community. So let us seek those things out that we might truly be transformed and made more in your image. And God, we pray for that person that gave their life to you today. May you fill them. Fill them with your peace and love and hope that they might know the life that you have for them and walk that out. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite Pastor Mark to the front here. For the person that raised their hand, and maybe there was others here in this room, as we sing, I'm just going to invite you to come and meet with Pastor Mark. We simply want to give you a Bible and information on where you go from here. What we do when somebody makes a decision to follow Jesus is we match them up with a mentor. Why? Because we're not called to do life alone. So we want you to do that with someone else. So if if that's you this morning, feel free to come and meet with Pastor Mark as we close in song.